on the Rookery End. My name's John. With me uh, this week uh, on Saturday is Mike. Whew, all right. Yeah, and uh, Colin. Evening. And um, I'm going to start by saying something that uh, Jason's dad said to me. Jason's not here on the podcast. And uh, as the game finished, Jason's dad turned to me and said, that was an enjoyable game. Watford won. Spurs won. The first time we've got some points off them since we've been in the Premier League. And it was, weirdly, enjoyable, Michael. Absolutely fascinating game. It ebbed and flowed. It sort of felt like games within games, I think. It was over very quickly, which I think is always a sign of a... Uh, well, it wasn't over quickly. It took exactly the same time as every other game. But it felt like it was over quickly. You were never sort of sort of talking to the chap on your left or right or checking your phone. There was yeah. always something happened. Absolutely fascinating encounter. I think I'm really, really happy with the point, quite yeah. frankly. Yeah, what did you learn? Anything new about what that Watford team as a, as, a, as a squad, as a bunch of players against Spurs? I mean, maybe not from the last game, but how we have competed against Spurs in, in the previous four encounters in the Premier League? Well, we were certainly have the best team that we've had against them since we've been in the Premier League, so that helped. But I also thought we made quite a big improvement from Tuesday night in terms of the way that we set up and the way that we defended. And they are more dangerous than United, yes. I think, because they moved the ball better. Even though there were some panicky moments in the first half, uh, and they did get the equaliser, we can maybe talk about whether he was offside or not. It looked a bit <laughs> like he was offside. He's always offside, isn't he, son? Or on but, the floor. <laughs> yeah, or on the floor, exactly. We were more solid, and we, we played a better game of football, but we were overrun at times, and we were just talking about whether or not we really have that, uh, whether it's tactical that, and whether we need to make uh, a tactical change against teams that can move the ball that well, or whether or not it's just purely a, a mental thing that we haven't quite overcome yet, that we don't really quite believe that we're good enough to go toe-to-toe with the players. And the thing I really love about Silva's tenure so far is that he never wants to say, right, it's Tottenham, we're going to put on another defensive midfielder, we're going to park the bus, we're going to stop them from playing, we're going to go for a nil He never does that. Once you do that with the team... They will always have that in their mind. And he says, no, we're going to set up, we're going to attack, we're going to go man for man, we're going to try and beat them. And if you look at the stats, we've played five of the top six at home and we've got five points from those games. And those, for me, are bonus points because we don't expect to get a point against Liverpool, we don't expect to beat Arsenal, we don't expect to get a point against Tottenham, but we have. Uh, OK, we've been on the end of a drubbing from City and, and you could probably argue that it was a bit of a drubbing on, on Tuesday night from the defensive point of view. But we've, you know, so we, I think the, the, the points don't reflect the attitude of the players. I'm not sure they quite believe that they're in the game and that they, they really can compete at this level. When we play the lesser clubs, the clubs that we consider we should be competing against, then we seem to have that belief and we play the ball and we're confident and we seem to be... But days like today, there's a little bit of tension in the shoulders and they don't quite express themselves in the same way. But I also think there's a tactical reason as well, which maybe I can talk about later. I agree wholeheartedly. I think there is a, a confidence... I think a confidence issue is probably overstating it, but that underlying belief that, that we don't have to stop and worry that this is Tottenham. And I think that manifests itself more on Tuesday night where I think we had a really good opening 15 minutes where we were moving the ball nicely, we are getting down both flanks, we're getting in good positions without ever really feeling like we're going to have that incisive, decisive moment that's going to give us the lead. So I think that was evident on Tuesday. And then today I thought it was the exact opposite. We were completely overwhelmed for the first, well, until we scored. Uh, I mean, look at the, the, the personnel Tottenham had on the pitch. They had Dele Alli, uh, Son, Kane. Yeah, we say, you say, but the my thing about Tottenham, it wasn't the fact that they have those people on the pitch, but those boys have played together for about three seasons. Yeah. And you could literally, the, the movements, the, you know, the way they played, they knew exactly where they were, and that's what makes them, I think, another level of, of team compared to Manchester United this week, was the, the unison that was, was Spurs compared to the other big teams that we've sort of uh, come up against uh, so far. They put me in mind of, of Man City, the way they closed down the space. We had absolutely no space in midfield. I don't 
don't think at any stage in that game we saw the Watford that we've been so effusive about so far this season. We never really hit our rhythm. And that wasn't because I don't think we've had to make changes or, or we, were, we were struggling individually. I think you have just have, sometimes you have to hand it to the opposition and say they took the game to us. And quite frankly, until we scored, I thought we were hanging on by the skin of our teeth. The fact that we did score, I think we broke up the pitch, we got the corner, we scored. I think that speaks volumes. Um, we didn't collapse under that, under that early onslaught. You know, I'm really pleased with the point, quite frankly. I think, I think we, did, we did well enough, but it's interesting. Isn't it? What I love is that we're having the, the conversations about how we move forward. We're not coming away saying we've lost 3-0, we were OK, we could have done better. We're actually talking about, right, we've got a solid base. And at no time, I don't think, did the supporters think, oh, this is Tottenham, we're drawing, that's great. No, what, what, Watford were held by uh, 10 men uh, spurred. That's how I'm spinning it. That's kind of where we're at though, isn't it? And, when I, and I don't think we're quite there, but that's kind of where we, yeah. the, the feeling is. And I think that's a great, great thing. And I think that's something we can take, take great pride in as, as supporters. And it's, again, everyone you speak to who's not a Watford supporter, they say, well, you're shipping too many goals, aren't you? Well, a, yeah, but B, it's a lot of fun. Uh, and B, we're probably a lot better. B, are we up to C? <laughs> I think we're up to C now. Number three, we're, uh, we're better than people think we are. Oh, and go back to Colin's point, are we better than, than the Watford players think they are? So I think we are, we're forming a really nice, solid base. Um, I'm disappointed that we're having injuries again. You know, Will Hughes is missing again today. I'm not going to stand here and say that Will Hughes would have made it, that game much easier or would have been better, but Pereira comes in. Oh, and <laughs> All right, well, over the skull then. Um, but, um, you know, Pereira came in and, uh, as we were saying before, he's the next one off the rank, really. He's the next best player in, the, in, the, in that midfield. We know what we're going to get from him, but it wasn't a good game for him today in terms of what the opposition did. He wasn't allowed to find any space at all every football club in the world would, would love to say I wish we could have the same team week in week out I think we'd see perhaps a different result and a different performance had we had our the same 11 for say four, five, six games in a row a podcast made by Watford fans, fans. for Watford fans from the rookery end Tom Cleverley hey. nine captain Troy Dean the big change from the starting eleven was that in fact Troy Deeney started the game, Mike. He was Troy Deeney. He caused some kerfuffles and put himself about a bit that maybe Andre Gray can't do or hasn't done. Um, was it the right choice for you? Look, we've got a point. We've, we've just said how happy we are with the draw, so it's, it'd be churlish, I think, to uh, to pick holes in the in the starting lineup. I, I, what, what really struck a chord for me was we Watford won a break in the second half. Um, we were moving forward. Troy Deeney was moving up with the play, timing his run and went to make his run, which was great. Drew two defenders in, ball goes out to Richarlison. Unfortunately, a bit of a, a poor touch, I think, or something happened. It didn't, nothing came to fruition. But Troy Deeney very rarely makes those runs. Certainly didn't today. But as soon as he did, two players in, two defenders inside. Richarlison's one-on-one on, one on the outside. I think you get that more with Andre Gray. Yeah. There was an amazing moment with a crossfield ball that Troy kept in on the, uh, on, the, on the right flank in the second half. And I went, I've never seen Troy didn't do that before. You it know, was quite good. You know what? I'm happy that he's a Watford player. I'm always glad to see him on the pitch. I don't think Troy has ever or will ever let us down. You know what you're going to get. But I've just got that sneaking doubt as to, to what he offers that perhaps that you don't see when you're in the throes of watching a game. The little, the hard work, the runs, the little movement um, that, that Gray makes. I don't think that, I don't think they, I don't think Troy does that. But he do, he obviously contributes in different ways, and it's, it's always it's always a good thing when Troy's on the pitch. Yeah. Would that be your favourite starting eleven, Colin? 
I don't think there was another alternative, to be honest with you. But for me, the player that seemed like a bit of a misfit today was Roberto Pereira. I think he was a bit flashy. He was nice, the sparks of it. It's, it's, it's beautiful to watch, so why? Well, I think when you play Spurs, and in the past when we've had Chalabar cleverly and Decore, or we've had uh, Decore cleverly and Will Hughes, you've got three central midfielders on the pitch. And then you've got the five, you know, the three centre-backs and the wing-backs. And then you've got Richarlison and Dini slash Gray up front. And, and what that makes us a bit more solid, although obviously it didn't work um, so well against United. But today we were playing Tottenham with two central midfielders because Roberto Pereira didn't really seem to know what his job was. Was his job to get right up behind Dini and get the knockdowns and the pickups and play in the number 10 role? Or was his job to stay back and play with those other two fellas and make sure that Spurs didn't overrun us because we were overrun at times and partly I think that was because he wasn't sure he'd been put in as you said because he's the next cab on the rank and there's no way you're going to put Watson into that game or when you've got someone of the quality of Pereira but does he know what his job is is his job he's not Carrillo so he's not going to go and play out on the right wing is he going to play as a number 10 or is he going to have to track back and pick players up and tackle them and he didn't seem to know which of those three things he was supposed to be doing and so he tried to do all of them all at, all at once all, or all at different times and he wasn't very successful and he did leave Decore and Cleverly exposed at times to the marauding Tottenham press and also when they had the ball the kind of the pinging the ball around Pereira was a bit lost in those situations so I would say that might be might have been a slight error on the part of the manager to bring Pereira into that game without giving him a very clear job maybe if you want to play Pereira you have to sacrifice Richarlison possibly and then bring on somebody to play in central midfield because we only had two and we needed three but that you would say though what you said earlier we said it, what we said earlier on about how he has not been changing things that much he has been not tinkering with the team and keeping as consistent as he could maybe that was a that's why he made that choice but maybe he and he he wasn't making a choice to to counter Tottenham but now you look back at it maybe that that's what we he should have done yeah i mean you want pereira to have an impact on the game going forward and there were times when he was far too deep picking the ball up in our own half you think what's he doing back there but it's because he has got a job to do along with those other two he can't just sit as a luxury player in the number 10 role saying well get me the ball lads or Deeney knock it down and I'll do something with it but the problem was because he didn't he wasn't selfish enough then when he, he didn't get in those positions uh, and, and make the make us play he did a bit towards the end obviously because we had the ball more because they were down to 10 men but so he, he was a bit in you know in between fell between two stools I believe is the expression he struggled. He really struggled. I think the good thing about having him on the pitch is that you know that if he he can, he's capable of dancing through two, three uh, defenders or or unlocking a, unlocking a decent pass. Which, you know, all it takes is that one bit of magic, if you like. And he, we know he can deliver that. But I can't argue with anything anything Colin said. Little, little boy lost really through no fault of his own. Um, a combination of the way Tottenham played and just perhaps how we were were set up. It just didn't suit him at all. And he he never got into the game, did he? Uh, some controversy with the referee. Uh, always love it when a uh, hole away end uh, has a go at the referee when we're doing exactly the same thing. Laughable though. I mean, you, you say, you say, you say. I've been champing at the bit to talk about this. It is absolute <laughs> on marks. Get set. Go. Absolutely hilarious. The Tottenham fans um, berating the ref. The, first things first. The the red card. We haven't seen match of the day yet because it hasn't been on. Uh, we're good. We're not that good. But. What a horrific, horrific challenge. What I would say is that Richarlison had planted the seed earlier on in the game. 
to show that he was going to be a handful. Sanchez didn't know what to do, so he cleaned him out and smashed him in the face with his elbow. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely appalling challenge. Followed up with Richarlison still flat on his back after the red card had been shown. Eric Dyer standing over him, berating him, having a go at him, presumably, for, for making too much of it, which I thought was an absolute disgrace. Um, and from that moment on, Tottenham stepped up their professionalism, if you like, <laughs> their game management. They'd started off... They go down too easily anyway. We know, um, and we've had players, and we have players that, that know when to, to draw a foul, shall we say, and to go down easily. But I thought Tottenham, uh, uh, they do that a lot. Harry Kane goes down easily. De- Deli Alli goes down easily. How uh, Son didn't end up in the, in the, in the notebook for, for two incredibly blatant dives is, is, is beyond me. Um, but ever since, uh, post the red card, they, they were just hell-bent on getting a Watford player sent off. They were going down far too easily, crumpling in a heap. And ultimately, I think uh, Silva made a good choice in, in hooking Cabasele because it was only a matter of time whether he committed a foul or not, he was going to get sent off. But, the, but I have to, a, word, a word for the Tottenham fans who were just howling with derision at every challenge after that appalling challenge they should be ashamed of themselves and I know that's what football fans do you all you get your you get a bee in your bonnet and you, you don't turn back from them once that little switch has gone off but um, they see they see the heckles of the the away end raised to that degree and in such a sort of well quite frankly embarrassing fashion almost makes it worth it feel like a win for me do not scratch your ears you're listening to from the rookery end Mike's son, name is Arlo, and, and he had a had a, a, a dangerous week, Mike. Yeah, and it's uh, he had a he had a bit of a uh, son moment actually. He dived <laughs> off the top of a climbing frame, but uh, he was going up the fireman's pole, fell off, landed flat on his back from uh, from a couple of meters up. So we've uh, we've been carted off to Stoke Mandeville, but uh, I'm pretty sure he was okay. As when he was loaded onto the stretcher, strapped down, neck brace on, head secured. He went, Daddy, Daddy, take a picture. I look like a goalkeeper. <laughs> so he thought he knew he was going to be all right. But yes, uh, he's all right. But uh, keep up, uh, get well soon, son. Yeah, uh, Mike's son is Parkin. Uh, his son called Arlo. And this is our feature, Michael Parkinson. It gives me even greater pleasure than normal to welcome to Michael Parkinson's son, in one piece, Arlo. Arlo, how are you doing? Good. It's great to have you here. Now, you had a bit of a tumble in, in midweek, didn't you? You hurt yourself? I nearly broke my neck. You nearly broke your neck, yeah. So it was a tough time, wasn't it? But you're, uh, you, made, you made a full recovery, which is great. Now, sometimes in matches, players pretend to have an injury or pretend to be fouled in order to get a free kick or perhaps get one of the other players booked or sent off. What do you think about that? No, not good. But all of the people outside England, I hope you all have a happy Christmas. What a lovely way to go out. Thanks very much, Charles. Cheers for joining us. It's all right. Bye-bye. See you later. Hope you have a good Christmas. This week, uh, I think I'm up on, uh, on, on Twitter, uh, Yeovil's uh, Twitter, of the game we played against them where we lost 3-0. I think it was, the fi- it was the final Zola game. And it got us thinking, Colin, what's the worst Watford game you've ever seen? Mike home has... Game. Home game. Yes. Oh my God! I mean, hundreds. There's been hundreds. <laughs> well, let's, let's, let's do. Let's, let's keep. Let's keep okay, it in the, mo- the modern era. Okay. Well, the, the the one that comes to mind, and it's not necessarily because the football was bad, although the football was very bad. We played Brighton in the cup on January the third, <laughs> and we lost one nil. And it was the coldest day in English history. And I took both my daughters and I'd wrapped them up. I got out of the car, parked in the girls' school, and I got out of the car and I thought, 
oh my god it's not just cold it's and uh, i have to say i only watched the first half because my little daughter was properly wrapped up and she was fine but the older one by half time her whole body was shaking and i said do you want to go home and she went no and i said i'm going to take you home because <laughs> your face has gone blue and we walked to friday's where there was absolutely no one obviously because it was half time and i bought her some chips and she didn't eat them she put her hands inside the <laughs> chips because she was so cold so that was poor, but the Yeovil game, I have to say, is definitely up there. It's one of the worst games I've seen. I, I was in the family stand then because my daughter was uh, much younger and uh, wasn't ready for the rookery, the excitement and uh, rough and tumble of the rookery. I remember the cowbells. I, mem- I mean, I remember everything about that game. It was absolutely appalling. I also remember the dad in the family stand who had to keep apologising for swearing every time he stood up and ranted about something. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Sorry, 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 everyone. Sorry, then sit down. But that was, that was a particularly poor poor performance yes one of my particularly poor one was the last game of the season uh, against Huddersfield and the, the the second Pozzo year that just did not go as well as the as the first uh, highly embarrassing not just on the on the the plane on holiday but I don't know where they were I don't think they were even in the in the stadium that day uh, but Michael the winner the worst game from uh, via our Twitter at Wolf Podcast, what, what was the worst one? Before we do go on that, thanks for the big build up there. But <laughs> what, I, what I did, like, we're very grateful for the enormous amounts of feedback we get on the, on Twitter. It's, it's great. But, but the amount of replies we got to this <laughs> what's your favourite moment? No. What's the best guy you've ever seen? What's the worst game you've ever seen at Vicarage Road? And notifications just went absolutely berserk. And it was, it was funny and quite heartwarming looking back, remembering those times. A, that it was, it was still fun being a Watford supporter doing such crappy, crappy football. Um, but also gives you pause to sort of take stock and think it wasn't that long ago that we were sitting through yeah. a lot of these matches because there were a lot of matches uh, uh, um, known, by, uh, known by Watford supporters. I think it's worth saying before we go on to the one that got the most votes, the Grimsby at home game. When we lost 3-0 and then there was the infamous storming of the uh, director's box. That was a, that was a particularly uh, low moment. A lot of people said virtually any game in the 90s, which <laughs> yeah, I think exactly. is, uh, yeah. which is a, a fair bet. But um, under Boothroyd... Watford nil, Barnsley three, was by far and away the most uh, uh, the winner by a long talk. And uh, Collins wincing just thinking about it now. <laughs> there were so many people that replied, going into sort of some went into detail about just how bad it was. Others were just sort of dismissed it with a horrific, horrendous. Um, but yeah, that game and that reminded me about that time under Boothroyd when it just felt so. It got a bit poisonous, didn't it? It, it turned. We were nine points ahead at Christmas, yeah. is that right? And we were, we were heading back into the Premier League. Yeah. And, uh, and then he decided that he was going to look up in the, in the uh, Neanderthal annual of how to play football. And then we played football like that, which is very odd. And I don't really understand what happened. I'd love to know the backstory there because we went to this awful style of football for the second half of the season we, and we collapsed, didn't we? we? We managed to get in the playoffs and then I think we lost to oh. Hull. It was Hull, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah. But that, but that really was, I think, that was the marquee moment, if you like, if, that, if you can use that phrase to describe something so, so abhorrent. But yeah, I think Barnsley had just beaten um, Liverpool in the cup, so they came here on a, on a bit of a high. Um, but I think we were still in contention at that stage. We still could have gone back to the top of the table with a win, but it was just absolutely appalling. And it's, it's just not that long ago, was it? So yeah, loads of shout-outs for that. I'm still laughing just thinking about <laughs> the amount of absolute bobbins games we've had to sit through um, and just brings us back round now nicely today I think we've, we're, we're coming away 75% satisfied with, with, a, with a team that is virtually exclusively made up of uh, internationals with a draw, against, a, a draw against an amazing team so always good to look back really good looking forward it's, it's, it's a fun time to be a Watford fan
Talking of looking forward, uh, that was the first of eight games Watford are going to have to play between now and the 2nd of January. If that game hadn't been moved, we could have used the stat eight games in a month. But because that game's on the 2nd of January, <laughs> it ruins it. Um, so we've got uh, a lot of games coming up. Um, we've got Burnley next, Palace away, home to Huddersfield, away at Brighton, home to Leicester, home to Swansea, and then finally we finish that run on the Tuesday, the 2nd of January, away at Manchester City, which is just crazy how many games we've got must be surely to do with the, the World Cup and having to it and I remember Kieran on our summer podcast pointing that out uh, how many games it's almost a quarter of the season uh, that we've got to play going forward to that we asked today on Twitter again how many points you want for it it went from as low as seven which I thought was quite positive uh, to as uh, high as 18 which I thought was a little bit over ambitious but I like a little bit of ambitious from, uh, from Hornet Shane what do you want out of this maybe not in terms of points Mike but in terms of um, the next step knowing that we've got so many games in such a short succession Talking with Colin before and on this podcast so what's really sort of struck home with me is I want to see this belief this sort of core belief confidence continue to grow and to run through it and they are a Look, they're difficult games, but we've had much tougher games. And I think the time has passed where we can say, oh, there's no easy game in the Premier League. We'll be, I'll gladly take a point here and maybe we'll nick something there. We've shown, I'm afraid, that this side is capable of, of an awful, awful lot. Um, and if we can keep a, something approaching a first 11 fit um, with those guys firing on all cylinders, this is a really, really good opportunity for us to put a massive imprint on this Premier League season there's no reason that we can't pick up decent results at every club you've mentioned there Man City away is, is obviously going to be a different test but a the, draw but the, the, <laughs> the six, six seven games before then obviously they're all difficult obviously they're all tests and I was saying to Andy during the game whenever Watford come to town it doesn't matter who you are they will still have it down as a home win they will still expect to beat Watford Tottenham will have expected to beat Watford Swansea will expect to beat Watford Huddersfield will have Watford down as a circled as an important three points in their season we're better than that I don't think people know it and I want us to prove how good we are over this festive period I want to take the doubt over it uh, out of it I want to take the caveats that people are putting in about our defensive frailty um, we're probably going to concede goals but if we win 4-3 every game then, then that's absolutely fine I want to put our, a big yellow size 12 boot imprint onto this Premier League table and I think we can, we can really really do that Let's get the confidence going get the, the team believing in themselves working together in training going that extra 10% whatever it needs to do these are the games that they're going to get kicked up in the air they're going to find it difficult. They're not going to get space. Richarlison's going to get booted around. We're not going to get any space, so we're not going to get, get, to get it all our own way. We're good enough to make sure we get it our own way. So, yeah, this is an opportunity for us to, um, yeah, just to make a real impact. The fitness is going to be my, my biggest thing. I think we've seen this mental strength growing. We've seen it shine at certain points this year. You know, I think it grew from, from Tuesday against Man United to today, as we've already said. Um, but it's the, it's the physical fitness that sort of is my biggest worry, especially for Richarlison, because he's never played this amount of football in his life, I suspect. Um, not at this level, at least. And you sort of think at some point he needs to have a rest. Would that rest be next week when we're at Burnley and you can stick Troy Deeney and Andre Gray together up front? Because there was a part in this game today where you could just see Troy must have gone, just put it up to me, I'll head it down to Andre, he'll score, and then everyone will know exactly that's what we're going to be able to do for the rest of the season. Please play us together. Because I actually got in contact with a Burnley fanzine and said, can I just check, when he was at his best at your place, 
what did he do? What system was he playing in? Who did he play with? And it was a 4-4-2, and he always played up front with the big guy. He's not playing a system that is perfect for him. He's clearly in a development phase. But wouldn't you do it against Dyche? I think it's definitely a possibility. I agree with you that Richarlison needs uh, some some rest. I think Firminia also probably needs a bit of rest. I think Decore is going to need some rest at some point, although he doesn't run around an enormous amount because he stays where he is and he does his job, and cleverly the same, possibly. I think um, these next games are really important because if we could, say, get 10 or 12 points, that would put us on 34 points by the beginning of the year. And what, what I think we should try and do... And I agree totally with Mike, but I think that we should try and tee up the second half of the season. It's our third season in the Premier League, and so far we've had two rotten second halves of the season. Under Kike, they lost interest. Kike seemed to lose interest. I don't know whether he knew he was going to Spain or what was happening, but they, they, they came off the boil. And we all know what happened under Walter in the second half of the season, where everything seemed... I don't. I've completely left it out of my brain. <laughs> uh, well, it's, <laughs> it's, it's hidden. I don't want to know about it. Under hypnosis, you can get those retrieved <laughs> memories back, I'm sure. But So we need to tee it up. We don't want to have to go into the new year thinking, oh, God, we've got to catch up again now. I believe, I firmly believe, uh, which is not something I would normally have said or say or have ever said, really, but I do believe that we are in a battle for seventh spot in the Premier League. I think there's Burnley, there's us, and it seems like Leicester have completely turned around their season by employing Claude Puel. He's got, he's got them playing like the Leicester, like they know they can play. And they're now two points behind us. I think the three of us are in a battle for, for seventh spot. Seventh spot will probably guarantee you a Europa League spot. And we should definitely have our ambition set on that. In order to get seventh spot, we're going to have to win a lot of football matches. But uh, I think we're capable of doing it. Rotation will be important in the next 30 days. It will be. Uh, but we've got players like Kapu, and we've got Jan Matt on the bench, and we've got Holobas, who wasn't even on the bench, and maybe even Stefano, although I think that ship's probably sailed. But we have got experienced players, Britos won't be out long, Will Hughes doesn't look like it's a six-weeker, it looks like a three-weeker we've got some good players that can come in and take the place of other players, but we, I agree with you we can't run Richarlison into the ground, he wasn't as sharp today although he was against probably the best right back in the league, <coughs> and he did struggle at times with Trippier, because Trippier was brilliant today so maybe, yeah, it doesn't mean he has to have a break for the whole game. No, maybe no, he can true. just sit on the bench and come on after 75 minutes against some tired Burnley legs and tear them to pieces. But the idea, back to what you were saying, the experiment of Deeney and Gray together, I think that there's going to be a come a time where we have to do that. And I, my feeling is that we've got Deeney and Gray and they both, we both know what we get. We hope that Gray can improve and get better. We know exactly what we're going to get from Deeney every single week or every single minute that he plays. And one cost us half a million quid 10 years ago and the other cost 18 million quid. And a lot of what for fans on forums say, oh, he's cost 80 million quid. He's, our, you know, he's the biggest signing and he's rubbish and he can't do this and he can't do that. It's like 18 million quid for a centre forward in the Premier League market as it stands now is almost nothing. And so if you expect this kid to get 25 goals in a season, you, you've got your head in the clouds. You haven't been reading the papers. You haven't been watching what the Premier League's been doing over the past four or five years. You've got to pay 40 million to get anyone half decent. Look at Lukaku on Tuesday night. He couldn't hit a cow's ass with a banjo and he cost 75 million pounds. So even a player like that, you've spent all that money on, who is clearly a good goal scorer, will go through periods where they just can't seem to get uh, on the ball. The, whether he's playing in a system that he likes whether we need to change the system a little bit to suit Andre Gray, that is a good question. Whether Marco will do that, whether, that, whether that's a principal thing for him, whether that's a compromise thing for him that he won't do, 
I think we have to wait and see. But these games, he cannot play the same eleven every game. He's going to have to do mix. I, I totally agree, and I think that um, I think rotation is going to be important, and this is going to be where Marco Silva earn, earns his money. What I don't want to see is us just re- revert to type. Burnley away is going to be a tough game, so let's put two big lads up front. What I, what I was saying before is about belief in ourselves and confidence in this in these players we've got this style of play we've got bubbling let's keep our foot on the gas and it's finding that fine line between keep playing the way we're playing keep entertaining keep keep on an upward trajectory but without doing ourselves in over Christmas so treading that fine line is going to be be fascinating but I don't think we want to be in a situation where we say yeah Burnley away is tough let's let's get the get the get our real superstars wrapped up in cotton wool and try and bully our way to victory let's on the other hand though they might not expect that and yeah. as we all know the thing that you want to do is to do the thing they don't expect <laughs> so they will be having a plan for Richarlison they will have a plan for Firminia they will have a plan for Pereira say and then suddenly they're faced they go oh we didn't plan for that <laughs> what are they doing what's Ben Watson doing in goal yeah, exactly. <laughs> But yes, so I think you know sometimes you have to mix it up and, and try and surprise your position. But I do agree with you; it does feel like a slightly a backward step. We, we want to play around them, like we did at Newcastle. We just played around them, and, and 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 we did it here against West Ham. They come at us, they try to kick us, and then they just play around them and score goals. And that, that we've been able to do that, and we should believe in ourselves. We, we talked about that Watford Barnsley game, that horror show under under Boothroyd, and one of the most cringeworthy things there was when. Um, but I think it was either Boothwood or Marlon King said that before the game they used to shout we are Watford we are Watford we are Watford in the dressing room and it obviously worked for them but when they when they tried to replicate it on flags and in the in the in the terraces it was it was absolutely skin crawlingly embarrassing <laughs> however we are Watford that brand that element of branding our name across the Premier League is what I think we should be we should be striving to do we're Watford we're exciting we're fun to watch and we're going places that's what I want to establish for certain over this Christmas period. Uh, we're from the Rookie End. Uh, we'll be back next week with another podcast. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you for subscribing. If you do, do tell your friends. And remember, follow us on the social media platforms uh, at Watford Podcast, Facebook, Instagram, uh, Twitter, you name it. We're on there somewhere. Colin, you haven't done it yet, I don't think. So it's your go. Finish off the podcast. Come on, you horns.